0: I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you that I'm not going to delve into that much Um, I preached on this same passage two weeks ago and um, I feel like more needs to be done with it Um, but anyway, you might need to go back a couple weeks on our website and hear that message Okay, uh, quick survey before we do this Okay, question one Who will participate? Raise your hand if you'll participate in the quick survey all right, okay, I was about to say that we're not doing it. Um, okay, so the, here's the question. Um, our speed, our rate of speed going through the gospel of Mark. A, way too stinking fast. We're missing so much, I wish we, now you're, listen to all three first. <laughs> B, I wish you'd hurry up. There's a lot more Bible that we could listen to. Or C, not too bad, relatively about right. You might as well keep doing what you're doing. Okay, so A, B. Too slow. OK? And, that's, that's, and then C. So, you a bunch of people, pleasers, aren't you? <laughs> All right, OK. Um, OK, so this is Mark chapter seven, and I'll read through verse 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but the rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. He said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God— then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition and you've, that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he left the crowd and entered into the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, do you not see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside of a man. It's inside and make a man unclean. I'm trying to find my little clicker. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on this, and I talked about religious hypocrisy, and my focus was on ritualistic religious hypocrisy in the gathered church. Now, obviously, I could preach like, five more sermons on that, just as it relates to the gathered church, how we tend to create rituals and create traditions for ourselves— which really, really focus on modifying our behavior as a group and ultimately have the effect of getting us more focused on those traditions and rituals than on what God's Word actually says. And so what's necessary as a church is for us to constantly be going back to Scripture and constantly reevaluating what we do by the Scriptures. The the chant during the Reformation for this was to be reformed and always reforming, right? And um, on that day, I did get to one of my four points— um, and today, um, I want to talk about how this relates to us as individuals. How religious hypocrisy through um, r- religious tradition and rituals um, can affect us. How it always affects us. How all of us are affected by it. But I, I, need, I, wanna just, I need to clarify something from the last thing. So before we get into that, um, last time I was here, I talked about a change in John Georgetown, the guy who played the flugelhorn. In case you don't know who that is. Um, John is our director of worship arts here at High Point Church. And um, the elders for, actually for a number of months, talked about this and talked about it with John. And his job description has changed so that he's going to be doing music still in terms of leading it. Um, but he's also going to be doing a bunch of work with small groups. Because um, at a church our size, we just, we j- it just doesn't make staffing sense To have one person fully devoted to music arts And nobody devoted to pastoring people into groups And helping them grow spiritually through the study of the scriptures And understanding the gospel That doesn't make any sense And staffing gets that way sometimes when churches shrink Because when you grow, you get real deliberate about how you're growing a staff But when you shrink, it's like whoever stays, you know And so sometimes you get like that And um, I said this at the congregational meeting But for those of you who weren't there, shame on you Um, But I I said, (laughs) sorry (laughs) Um, but they're so fun. Um, John, is, not only is, it, is this a functional staff necessity, but the kind of profile that's out there for what you need in a small group leader, small groups group leader, um, are the things that are naturally part. Of. You need, like, this gregarious extrovert that connects with lots of people and blah, 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 which is what he is, which is what I'll never be. And... Um, and also some other things like you have to like change. John loves change. I mean, there's some things like that. And another great providence is that um, f- for some reason, God brought a guy named Bob Groman who was um, doing inter-varsity small group strategery in Eastern Europe and former Soviet Union back to inter central, which is right here in Madison. He has an earned PhD in educa- Christian educational studies for adults. And he's going to, he, he goes here. He's out of town a lot of weeks and, and John already knows him. So there's this great mentoring relationship that's just fallen into his lap in terms of training. So there's a lot of cool provinces that have come together. So you won't see John on stage quite as much, but he's still um, serving over that ministry. You may see more different band leaders, different people leading worship, and that's why that is, because it's a ministry functional necessity for us to do what Jesus told us to, that is to make disciples of all nations who obey everything he commanded. And if we're going to think reasonably how we have to deploy for that, we've got to have somebody doing groups, even if it means we only have somebody halftime doing music. Does that make sense? If you, if you, if you dislike that, say amen. I'm just kidding. No, just keep it to yourself. Um, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, so last week I talked about four things that— um, Four things about tradition and religious hypocrisy Which were these Um, That religious hypocrisy is a universal Human tendency destructive to faith Everybody, everybody, everybody falls into Religious hypocrisy, right? Everybody, 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 everybody So um, One cheeky political thing that I say sometimes is um, Being a democrat is Partly the idea that you should Distrust the wealthy, being a Republican is partly the idea that you should distrust the not wealthy. Being a Christian is basically the idea you should distrust everyone. Right? Because we're, we're all sinners. We all take whatever system we've got and we adjust it to fit our Sin cycle Whatever we like to do However we want to self-justify All of us do it We constantly do it We do it in our faith We do it in our churches We do it everywhere we are And so what is natural for us Is what is spiritually unnatural or sinful And it just happens And if you don't go We're going to swim against this river Not with it Then it's always going to happen So every church is always Constantly sliding into traditionalism And religious hypocrisy all the time Because every individual Christian Is constantly sliding into ritualism And hypocrisy all the time Unless we are actively remembering the gospel and growing in humility and going back to the scriptures and being reformed, but yet always reforming. Does that make sense? The second one was religious hypocrisy conceals itself in our traditions and practices. Our traditions and practices are set up to be a helpful thing to conceal our religious hypocrisy. It's harder for us to see it there. Right? Third is that religious hypocrisy demonstrates our internal depravity. One of the things the Bible says that's kind of funny is that— um, Depravity just means our just pervasive badness, okay? Um, some people were like, you use that word depravity a lot because there's no word like it, okay? It just covers it all. Um, there's this place in the Bible where—I think it's in, in Romans—but it's basically the argument is the, the whole, if you say that you, you know the law and you obey the law, the whole point of that is you know you need a law, which means you're bad, Right? The whole reason, why do we have laws? Because people do bad things and you got to have something on the books that says you can't do that. Right? If we weren't bad people, we wouldn't need laws and we wouldn't need government. Right? We wouldn't need any of that stuff. We wouldn't need police. We wouldn't need, we wouldn't need leash laws. We just wouldn't, we wouldn't need anything. We could just all just, we'd be like bees. It all just kind of works. And you don't need to tell anybody any—you don't, you don't open up beehives and see, like, ordinances posted in there. You know, everybody just figures out where to go, and they just kind of do it. And the worker bees, they just, they just go out and get pollen. And, the, and the, the queen just has babies, and the drones go around and move stuff, and they just ants the same way. They just do their job, right? And we are not like that. And so the very fact that we have a law, we have traditions, the, the very fact that we have to come to church— Is the admonition we're admitting we're bad People say, oh, churches are full of hypocrites That's what they're for, okay I mean Right, I mean mean, People who say, oh, you know, the churches are full of hypocrites They don't realize that the the Christian doctrine is that Humanity is all hypocrites The church is just the hypocrites who go to church You know It's not not that we're being self-righteous It's everybody's a hypocrite And we're the ones, we're like the ones in therapy, you know? (laughs) So, anyway, and then the last is that Jesus came to free us from legalism and hypocrisy. He came to save us, not through the law, but because the law couldn't save us. Paul said in Galatians, if righteousness could have been obtained through the law, then Christ died for nothing, right? There's no—there would would have been no reason for there to have been a Jesus if obeying rules could have made us right with God and each other. It's impossible. It'll never happen. It'll never work because the law can't change us. It can only tell us we're bad and tell us why. Why? Right? Okay, so that was last week, so I'm not going to preach that now. Um, so the point is now—here's the point now. What about us? Okay, you can say, oh, that's your High Point Church. You know, we could get all—we could get, you know, mired in religious tradition, religious hypocrisy, and so, you know, that would just be people wouldn't come because we'd be all self-righteous. Um, and, uh, okay, yes, that's true. But here's the issue. All of those things are true of us personally. The reason it's true of us corporately is because it's true of us personally. And if we don't swim against religious traditionalism and the religious hypocrisy that grows from our traditions and rituals, it will happen to us, it will be slightly different for all of us, and we'll be totally blind to it. And essentially what it comes down to is a misunderstanding of the gospel. To the extent to which this is happening to us is the extent to which we don't understand the gospel— because these are opposite plans Last week one of the things I said was The work of Christ and the tendency of religious tradition Are opposite spiritual programs The tendency of religious tradition is to heal us through a new law Right? Oh, okay So, okay, you didn't do so well in those last laws Let me just give you some, some new ones Does that help? Right? The, the work of Christ heals us through the spirit and through faith We believe news, and God changes us from the inside out. Totally different spiritual programs. One manages behavior, one goes right to the guts, and rips everything apart, and rebuilds it, and then behaviors end up changing later. Right? So there's essentially, therefore, then two models of spirituality in this passage. There's essentially that of the Pharisees and the elders, which is basically law therapy. How are we going to make you right with God? Through law therapy. And Jesus, who's reversing this and saying, no, no, it's totally different. You don't know what the law is for. And when you use the law for something it was never intended to do, it hurts you. And what, you, what people actually need is gospel therapy, okay? So I want to make really clear what each, these, what each of these are, okay? So first, law therapy. Here's, here's the, but the bottom line truth of Scripture is the law cannot change you. The law, can, the, the law is perfect. The law can reveal who God is. The law can tell us where we're wrong. The law can be a diagnostic of when we're going off the path. The law is a wonderful, 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 wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But there are certain things it cannot do. And what it cannot do is save and change you. And in that sense, you can say that the law is diagnostic rather than medicinal. It can, it can show us what's wrong, but it can't make us better. And so the law was meant to, wasn't meant to change us. The law can't change us. And here's the thing that I want to linger on a little bit. Trying to use the law to change us will, will hurt us. If you think, if you believe essentially in salvation through law, you'll end up worse off rather than better. Christianity will increase your spiritual sickness rather than make it better. Okay? So this is a critical point. Um, and he, Here's some places in the Bible that, that talk about how the law is diagnostic, not medicinal. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son. What does that mean? Well, why can't the law save us? It's not because the law isn't right. It's because we're sinful. If you give a good law to bad people, what happens? They don't do it <laughs> And so it doesn't make a good society Right? There's no good, The, the law, perfect law can't make a good society If it's ruling over bad people Because the people don't do it And so, it, so Paul says The law couldn't ever make us God's people that way Because it can't do anything And so because it was weakened by our sinful nature Something had to be done about our sinful nature And so God did that By sending his own son Galatians 2.19 For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Right? The law itself actually got me to stop trying to be right by the law. The law made me realize I was such a failure in trying to live up to the law that I quit the law and turned to God rather than myself. Because I was trusting in myself to live up to the law. But the law was too hard, but it was also too good. So I couldn't go, oh, crappy law. I'll just do what I want because the law is perfect. But then I couldn't fulfill the law, so I had to recognize I was the failure. What was the result of that? I quit the law and turned to God to change me. Right? Galatians 3.24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we could be justified through faith. Right? So, okay, but you could still say, okay, but how does law therapy hurt us? How does us essentially, you know, believing in Jesus, but then really turning to what we ought to do, how we ought to change our behavior, how does that hurt us? And here's here's how it hurts us. Essentially, trusting the law— is essentially spiritual judo against real religious devotion Now think about it this way um, If you think about your own sinful heart that doesn't want to die or if, about, um, or if you think about temptation coming from the outside What do you do with, with a real growing spiritual devotion That's awakening in the heart of a human being? How do you keep that human being a, How do you keep yourself a slave to your idol When another part of your heart is awakening to God's goodness? How do you keep your selfishness idle when there's another thing working in you saying, give yourself to God, give yourself to God? Or how does a a devil keep you enslaved to the law, to sin, to death, to self-righteousness, to your own idols when there's a new principle working? See, he can't just push against it. It's too much force. He's got to throw you. He's got to use this new momentum, this real spiritual devotion. Somehow he's got to use that that against you. How does he do that? Well, he goes, oh, you really want to trust and follow God? That's great. I'm totally for that. So here's what you should do. And psychologically, you direct yourself or you get directed to the sorts of laws that will allow room for the idol that's still there. So you'll do things that are good— but you'll do things that are good that are good for you, but you won't necessarily pay much attention to the things that are good that are really good for other people and that cost you. So you get these you get these American Christians in their evangelical churches who obey everything God ever commanded that's smart. Right? So, you know, they, they, they parent smart and they don't run around and their spouse is smart and they have, they go on date nights because it's smart and they, they, you know, they do all these Christian things that are good for you because they're smart because you really go, that's smart. I should do that. And meanwhile, they, they just read over stuff, like stuff about the poor and stuff about us dying and, you know, things like that. You just kind of read over that stuff. We imagine that I am, I'm taking up my cross and I'm following Jesus and I'm dying to myself because I don't have four mistresses. And I'm becoming just like Jesus because I don't cheat on my taxes and because, like, you didn't cheat on your taxes because the IRS was going to be coming for you. That's, I mean, I mean, it was self-interested. I mean, you, you have been, we, we've looked at the law and we go, oh, I'll do these laws because they're smart. And so essentially what's happening is our own sinful nature and our, the temptation coming from the outside is saying, oh, you want to be spiritually devoted? Let me show you how with the law. And it puts blinders on us And it takes that spiritual devotion And it just flips it around back into another kind of slavery And it ends up creating legalism and traditionalism And essentially hypocrisy And these are the most natural ways To undermine sincere spiritual and moral devotion That a seed of faith starts to grow It's the way to re-enslave somebody that you're losing If you're your own idol Or if you're tempting And one of the reasons I think this is really critical is we have to understand what—how sin works, okay? Sometimes we have a very, 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 very shallow idea of sin because we think of sin primarily behaviorally, okay? But if sin was only behavior, what could have saved us? Shout it out. The law, right? If the only thing wrong with us was that we just didn't behave right, but everything inside of us was okay, we could have been saved by the law, right? Right? Okay, get ready for amateur hour. Um, So, sin has at least three parts. That is—where's my laser? There we go. That is, there is the behaviors themselves, the fruit of sin. See the little tomatoey thing? That's a fruit. And then you've got the heart level. That's the passions and emotions related to the sinful tendency. And then down here, you've got the actual idol itself. You've got the belief that's like rooted in the heart. That's, that's the thing that's creating this. So, um, my, my wife comes to me and tells me that um, I'm not doing enough around the house, let's say. None of you have ever probably—this is hypothetical, okay? <laughs> so, so, and let's say, let's say I'm not a very disciplined or spiritual person, okay? So, we get in an argument— And how does the argument end? I'm screaming at her and cussing, and she's doing it right back, right? That's not very sophisticated, but that's how we feel, right? And the reason we're doing that behavior is because what's in our heart is anger. But the anger doesn't come from nowhere. The anger comes from somewhere. It's that we have a belief or we have a a idea about what we're worth and who we are and what we deserve and what people can rightly ask of us and what they shouldn't ask of us, and they—somebody's offending that. So I have this belief, hypothetically, that I work hard and that I do a lot and that I shouldn't have to recycle, right? Why can't you? It's 20 yards. I mean, why can't you do that, right? Or so, but, and that's my, my idol is that it's, it's about, it's ultimately about me. I mean, I, I shouldn't have to be asked to do this. So when you cross me, how do I feel? Well, I feel angry. And then how do I act? Well... I'm not nice, okay? Same thing, you can—the it, same thing works for lots of different sins. Any behavior, you can do this. You can, you can take out a little napkin, and you can draw a little fruit in a stem and some roots under the ground, and you can say, okay, what sin behavior did I just do? I just did this. Okay, what is that? What emotion did that come from? Okay, it says, okay, what's the idol under that? Why did I—what do I believe about reality that's wrong? Because the fruit of that belief was sin— the perfect law tells me that's wrong. So there's something about what I believe that's not in keeping with reality because I'm the center of my universe rather than something else. What is it? So, for example, when it comes to work, and you see, it's not always the same idol. So I may be overworking or neglecting my family, and it may come from a heart of ambition that's not balanced at all, but you could take two different guys and it might be totally different reasons. It may be because I grew up poor and I have some kind of insecurity that in a competitive world, in a white collar industry, it's put up or shut up. I've got I've got to do this. This is what has to be done, baby. Don't you understand? I've I've have to work this man. Do you do you want to keep the security? Do you like driving that you know two thousand and nine car? I mean, do you like this stuff? Well, guess what? I've got to work hard. And if you don't feel like I'm around enough, listen, that's relative. I can't man be pammy about this because I got to get some stuff done. Okay? Now it could be something totally different. It could just be, I have a need for personal glory. It might not come from fear. It might come from pride. And I may overwork or neglect my family, not because I'm, I'm afraid. I might think that I can get a new job anytime I want to. So who cares? Or it may be a sense of personal entitlement of comfort. I might have an idol of comfort. I know that if I don't work this hard, I can't keep this job with this kind of salary payout. I'd have to take something less, and I wouldn't have extra money for golf. That's what it comes down to. I wouldn't have money for my hobbies. I couldn't go on a hunting trip every year. I couldn't, I couldn't keep my Packers tickets. I couldn't play golf twice a week. I, the things that make my life comfortable that I like, I'm not giving those up because I deserve to have some comfort. Well, what does that create? Well, when somebody crosses you, your wife comes in and be like, baby, you, you cannot keep working like this. Well, what happens? Anger, right? Or we just naturally say, well, I need, I need to have these things— so there's more ambition. The ambition isn't for my family anymore. It's not for God, but it's for something else, and it grows the fruit of overwork neglect, right? So you go, okay, so how does—how does law therapy hurt us then? So if we go to this and we try to deal with it with the law, what happens? Okay, so you come in with your law machete and you go, you're not supposed to yell and cuss when you argue with your spouse, Right? Or your sister or your whatever, right? Your parents. And so you come in and you hack off that fruit of yelling or cussing or whatever. And so you go, boom, a little more righteous, right? And so you get this phase where you've come in and you've, you've hacked off the yelling fruit, right? And so now it's laying over here and you feel pretty good about that, right? (laughs) Because you don't, you don't yell and cuss at your wife anymore. I mean, that's, or your husband or whatever. Um, And so that's good Here's the problem This isn't a tomato plant, right? This is a weed This is like kudzu Like you're in trouble Okay And so what happens is Those roots really just grew deeper And that sinful emotion Is just gonna find a new behavior To accomplish the output It was after all along So if before you used to Get your wife to back down Or your husband to back down Or your parents to back down Or your kids to back down By overpowering them By using sort of rank anger Right? So now, what you do is you're kind of snide with her, or you, or you just don't talk about it. Well, listen, baby, I'm not going to stand here and be abused. Right? And you kind of you don't listen, you stonewall, you whatever. For women, they cry. Oh, you can't can treat me like this. And they, they, they come up with a new manipulative behavior because that sin hasn't died. The roots are deeper, it's getting stronger. But you thought you did a great job because you hacked off that cussing and yelling vine. I don't cuss and yell. Look at, this. look at those people. that cuss and yell at each other. You should look at the people in the world. They're just so, they're just so un, unspiritual. Meanwhile, right, you're, you're doing the, it's the same sin, same idol. The idol's getting stronger. We're becoming more sinful, more rebellious against God. We're not dying to ourselves. We're not following Jesus, really. But we think we are, and we think we're better than those bad people who do the other thing that we stop doing, right? And listen, friends. This just keeps going and going and going and going. So somebody confronts you and be like, well, you know, you're at last night," Or you come to my—you end up in my office for marriage counseling, and you're always like, he doesn't listen to me! And, and, uh, and I'm just kind of like, dude, listen, you're just stonewalling your wife. What do you want from me? Like, you— you, gotta, you actually have to speak to her, and you have to negotiate these things. And so now you're snide stonewalling, or you're crying, manipulating, or whatever is all out in the open. So now what? Well, you, you take the law, and you hack those two off now, right? So, but what happens? The roots grow longer. There's new fruit. So now you find a way to manipulate your spouse, your kids, your parents, with some kind of false spirituality. Right? Well, you know, the reason that I really work this hard is because I just want to be generous to the church. I just want to give. You know, I want, you know, or, you know, sweetie, you're just, you need to realize that Jesus wants me to have me time. Because I, if I'm not, if I'm not recharged, you know, how can I help? How can I give to the family? How can I be emotionally present for you if I'm just totally Wrecked, And you know, when I, when I walk out in God's creation playing golf, it just—I feel, cl- feel close to God. I mean, I feel recharged. Um, you know, the fact that I just have a bad attitude and that's why I feel more stressed and why I get emotionally drained, that, that's not the issue. The issue is I need to be recharged. And God wants that, right? You just—it's just a new behavior. And here's the problem. Now—I need to get a better laser pointer. Okay, now, guess what? Now it's self-righteousness times three. Because you're better than the people who don't yell and cuss. You're better than the people who don't stone—who stonewall. And you're better than the people who—right? Every time you chop something off, it's like another swimming pool of self-righteousness you get. So that you're better and better and better and better and better than the people around you who act so undisciplined and unspiritual. And meanwhile, your sin is growing more and more sophisticated, and the roots of your idol are growing deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we think we're becoming more spiritual and we're becoming, to quote Jesus in Matthew 23, twice the son of hell that we were when we started. That is the difference between gospel and religion. When you hear people say, the gospel isn't religion, what people mean when they say religion in that context is Religious legalism, religious hypocrisy and sin And that's why they're totally different spiritual programs One is a sin management model that sophisticates your sin But deepens your idols And one pulls them up by the roots That's the difference So the results of law therapy end up being this One, your behaviors do actually change They do actually change And sometimes you get better marriages Or you, I mean, sometimes there are good, smart outputs But your behavior does change. Second, though, <clears throat> your sin grows more sophisticated, which means it's harder for people to speak into your life, too. You're becoming so sophisticated that now nobody can hold you accountable, not even your spouse, because all the layers of psychology they have to take apart to get at something and go, look what you're doing. is so much harder. So you're insulating yourself from anybody being able to spiritually help you, Right? Third, we—we really think we're making spiritual progress, and we feel good about it, right? But what did Jesus say Isaiah was right to say about the Pharisees? They worship me what? They worship me in vain, right? They're offering worship, but is God accepting it? Absolutely not. They think that they're growing spiritually, but they're not growing spiritually. They're going the opposite direction in a very religious way. Fourth, our idols are getting rooted deeper and deeper and deeper in our hearts. Five, self-righteousness is steadily growing. And then what happens? Then we begin to construct new traditions to protect our new behaviors. And that's where we get these increases of traditions and rituals and things that are designed by us, even sometimes very unconsciously, to pat us on the back for our new sophisticated apparently righteous behavior while our idols grow deeper and stronger and deeper and stronger and deeper and stronger. Right? And so in that sense, um, law therapy is a little like an adjustable rate mortgage. It really looks like you're making a lot of front-end gains And then you just get killed in the long run. You think you're making progress? It looks like a good deal, but yeah, it's not. So, second and quickly is gospel therapy. Um, What Jesus says is, he said, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but in his stomach, then out of his body, right? These, these, he said, listen, even those cleanliness laws were, some spiritually, were spiritually symbolic. They weren't literal. It, shrimp doesn't make you spiritually unclean. The cleanliness laws were, when I said don't eat this and do eat this, the whole idea was to symbolize that you needed to separate yourself in your heart to God. <clears throat> Hence it saying, in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, that's not a, that wasn't created by lovey-dovey Jesus. Like, hardcore Moses wrote that one down, right? Because he got it from the same God. And so he's going to give this law. But what's the law based on it? It's based on him saying, Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And because you're going to lie to yourself, you need a diagnostic to keep you honest. So here's the law. So that when you break the law, you know you're not really being. You're not really loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So that's why Jesus says, don't commit adultery. Because he can say, love your wife. And you can be like, I'm loving my wife by loving myself with a mistress. And the, the, the law goes, no, you're not. Because it says right here, don't commit adultery. You're lying to yourself. Or you can say, I'm being generous. And the Bible can come be like, well, here's a basic minimal standard for generosity that you're not hitting. So quit lying yourself, right? Or, or he'll come and be like, you'll be like, you know, I love other people. And a biblical command is to be like, it says, carry each other's burdens. your real neighbors. And, but in, in, so if you go, well, I love each other. And, and so, so somebody, well, who are you loving? Whose burden are you carrying this week? Well, n- well nobody's. Well, quit lying to yourself. I mean, the law is this diagnostic. It's an MRI spinning around your spiritual head going, doesn't look so good in there Though you think it looks so good in there That's what the law is for But it can't change the heart, right? Jesus said The, sa- saying, the real problem is on the inside The problem isn't coming through your digestive tract The problem is coming out of your heart <clears throat> It's from inside And what comes out of a heart That makes a person unclean um, Man, I thought five pages I could do that in one Sunday morning But apparently not um, You see what you, you see, you, in some ways, when it comes to the law, you've got to ask yourself, what kind of person are you in relationship to good good and bad news? Are you the sort of person that likes good news and then bad news that ruins it? Or are you the kind of person that would rather get really bad news, but then after that, really good news that makes up for the bad? So, for example, you could say, somebody would be like, um, hey, did you know, insert your favorite band here, it's playing in town next weekend. And you're like, oh, dude, that's awesome. And they go, but, you know, it's totally sold out and they've got great security and there's, like, a list on— there's tons of people on Craigslist Craigslist look for tickets you're never going to find out. And you're like, okay, well, thanks for telling me. <laughs> right? Or are you the kind of person that somebody could come to you and be like, listen, um, you just lost your job, your house, your savings, your investments. It's all gone. Um, you're not going to be working where you're working. You don't know what your career is going to be. Um— But I actually found something out. Here's something you don't know. Um, You have a cousin that you didn't know you had. And he has started a clinic in northern Portland for meth addicts. And in the first three years, he has reversed the recidivism percentage for meth. People coming out of his clinic, 97% of them aren't falling back into it. Nobody knows why. He's doing something that— people can't figure out, and it's, it's paying for itself, and he, he wants to—he he found out about what you did and knows you have the right skills. He wants to hire you for near double your salary to work in that clinic with him to save the lives of 15 to who knows how olds all across the country. Um, it, can, it will be one of the most transforming things that happens in this generation. Um, and he wants you to start on Monday. Are you the kind of person that would go, man, forget my house and my job. That's all— Which plane am I on? When am I going? I want to be part of that, right? I mean, are you the kind of person that can get horrible news, but then get good news that's even better and go, yeah, forget that stuff I lost. Who cares? Are you the kind of person who can go into a field and find a treasure and sell everything you have just to buy that field so you can get that treasure? Not so you can go buy all your stuff back, but so that you can have that treasure, Right? That's the message of the gospel. You see, the the Pharisees had taken the bad news that was really good news and made it bad news again. See, the, the news of the law is you stink, right? You're infinitely valuable to God because He's given you a law, but you can't live up to it because there's something wrong with us. We're sinful, we're broken, we're bent, we're depraved. And that's the good news of the law, that we're terrible. Okay? And the, the, the Pharisees had tried to turn that into good news by saying, well, yeah, but if you do all these little things, you'll be better than all those unwashed masses people, and you'll be among the righteous. Which sounds like good news until it becomes slavery and then doesn't even work. But what Jesus is saying is he's reinstituting the bad news so that we can get the great news. He's like, no, 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 that's not right. The, the, here's the problem. The problem is, is that your hearts are desperately idolatrous. Desperately sinful um, Your minds are prone to Lying to yourself again and again and again And again and again so that you can hold on to your Idols because the roots just grow deeper and deeper And even when I give you a good law you use That to strengthen your idols and to create New idols and to protect them and Protect them and protect them with religious tradition Religious hypocrisy so that you can keep Safe from God and not be redeemed And I'm telling you that's not the program we're on We're on a totally different program where We are going to use the law to accept that we're terrible so that we'll turn to God. So that we'll turn to him to transform us. So that we would be justified by faith. So that we wouldn't be cleaned up, but we would be regenerated by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So that we become different people from the inside out rather than to try to make ourselves different people from the outside in, in a completely failing sort of way. That is, that we don't need a machete, we need a shovel. The gospel is a shovel that gets down and digs up the roots. And if you dig a plant up by the roots and you throw it in the sun, the whole thing always dies. And that's Jesus' plan for sin. Is to go at the roots, to dig us up from the very bottom, and to remake our hearts— to cast out our idols, to expel the things that take hold of us. And then he, then he gets all the behaviors he wants, right? Because we're remade. We believe. We don't manage our behavior. We come to Jesus. Follow him in his living and his dying. And then in joy, we do the thing we never could have gritted ourselves to do, without him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be a people who understand the gospel. Help us to understand the difference between religious hypocrisy and traditionalism and legalism and help us to understand how beautiful and good the law is when it's used for what it should be used for, how helpful the law is, how good, true, and perfect it is. But yet to understand there are things that cannot do and that if we try to use the law for them, it will hurt us and destroy us and twist us and bend us. But help us to turn to you, you alone, the risen Christ for our salvation. Through faith, would you come in and regenerate our hearts? Would you change the logic of all our behaviors? Would you displace our idols and break them down and become the center? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.